Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Galatians chapter 1. As you do that, I want to tell everybody, Happy New Year. Glad that you're here with us as we're starting off a new series, as we're starting off a new year. For us, as we're starting off this new one service, as we gather in here together, we are glad that you are here and that you are worshiping with us. You saw it on the screen. You'll hear it a couple more times. We want you to come back tonight, all right? There's a chili cook-off happening, all right? There's no place that I would rather be this evening than right here gathered with my closest friends and family and experiencing as many different bowls of chili as absolutely possible. And so if you've got one, we want you to bring it. There is a competition. Not only is there a competition for chili, but there's a competition for desserts, right? So whether you're a sweet or a savory person, we've got both of those for you, all right? So I want to make sure that you come back, bring something, bring a chili, bring something sweet, bring one or the other, but the preference is that you would absolutely bring both. That's my preference, right? So come back tonight as we have that time. You know what God did for us? It was summer all last week. God brought the cold. No better time for chili than when it's cold outside. So make sure that you are here with us. Well, as we're starting off with this new service, I want to kind of remind you guys uh, about the flow and how things are going and what we're, what we're doing. We will together today as a church family uh, take part in the Lord's Supper together. And that is going to be something that we do the first Sunday of every month. And so uh, if that's an important thing for you like it is for me, uh, then, then you might want to make sure that you're here definitely for the first service, uh, or the, for the first Sunday, not first service, first Sunday of each month as we have that together. Something else that maybe you weren't aware of, because on our first Sunday of the month, we'll have first grade through fifth grade with us in, in the building. And so Dawn and the kids team has put together these kids handouts, all right? And so they're going to help the kids track through the message. They're going to help them follow the points. It's got the scripture on the back and some extra areas where they can take notes. And so kids, if you didn't get one today, that's all right. Next month, we'll have them available for you as well to kind of help you track through. Now, kids, here's where you can really benefit with these, all right? How many of you sometimes, for the little kids, you get in the car and your parents are like, so what did you learn today, right? And they give you the test, right? We do that with our kids. Kids, next time, next first Sunday of the month, grab one of these. You're riding home. Mom and dad are driving. Pull it out. So, Dad, what did you learn today, right? You can test them, all right? This is what we're working toward as a family. We can grab these and have these together. So uh, thank you, Dawn and her team, for, for getting those out for our kids today. Well, we're going to be studying the book of Galatians over the next several weeks and over the next several months. And it's important that we understand what is happening in this letter. Who's writing it? Why are they writing it? And what are they addressing as we go through? So this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia to the Galatian people, which is why it's called the the letter of Galatians. Now, what Paul would do is Paul would plant a church, 
and then he would move on from that church to plan another church. If you've ever heard of the phrase church planner, today Paul was the first church planner that we see in biblical history as we move forward. He's the most dynamic church planner that the world has ever known. And so what Paul would do is he would plan a church, he would stay there for a certain time, he would raise up the congregation, he would raise up another pastor, and then he would leave it and he would entrust like he did with Timothy and Ephesus, he would leave the authority with a pastor there, and then he would move on. But periodically, from time to time, Paul would check back in with the church, and this would happen through letters. Hey, how are things going? What are the problems? What are the successes? What are the wins? And as Paul would hear back from the church what was happening and taking place, sometimes he would write letters and he would praise them and praise God for the work that was being done. But sometimes Paul needed to instruct or correct things that were happening and things that were taking place. And that's what we're going to look at with this letter to the Galatian people. Now, there were two factors that Paul's going to address throughout this letter that we need to be aware of. This letter will address some social and racial divisions that come within the church. You see, when the church first started spreading, racially speaking, the people that were coming to faith were of Jewish race. They were of a Jewish faith, and they left the faith to become followers of Jesus Christ. And that's where the church first began and first took off. But as the church began to grow and began to expand, Gentiles started coming in, those who weren't of Jewish faith before, those who weren't of Jewish race before. And so with more and more culturally Jews and with more and more culturally Gentiles coming together, there began to be some problems and some divisions within the church. And so as Paul was going to point out about how the gospel unifies in so many different ways, Paul throughout this letter is going to address some social issues and some racial issues and even some culture issues that we're going to dive into. But the primary thing that Paul is going to address in this is the nature of the gospel. This is going to be the theme that overwhelmingly takes and continues on for the Galatian people for their foundation of not only their faith, but of their life. And it's why I love that we're starting off this series at the beginning of the year, this time of year, because what will be a reminder for us is the foundation for which we set our lives on, the foundation for which we live our lives on, but then the foundation for which we continue our lives with that the gospel will infiltrate all of these aspects of our life. And it's what rings true for the Galatian people. Specifically, the issue that Paul was having to work through with the Galatian people is the concept that the gospel wasn't enough. For them, they were teaching that it was Jesus, it was the gospel, but then it was all of these other things as well. Remember I said earlier that primarily that the, the, the followers who had, who had largely become Christians first were Jewish believers. And so what would typically happen in, in their faith was they would receive the gospel of Christ, but they would then they would continue on in a lot of their Jewish customs or their lot of Jewish traditions. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's the understanding Understanding that the gospel in and of itself only is what saves you, but not only what saves you, but what keeps you. 
And what is beginning to happen in Galatia is they say to these Gentile believers, look, look, it's not just enough that you're saved, but then culturally speaking, you also need to adapt these things in if you are going to be saved. And so Paul addresses that. Paul's going to begin this letter by addressing the heart of the gospel, the point of the gospel, and what we respond to the gospel. So here's going to be the foundation of this sermon series as we go through this. Number one is this, is that the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom. That's the first thing I want us to understand about the gospel, that the gospel is how everyone in the world gets saved. It's how you enter into the kingdom. It is the gospel and the gospel alone that saves us. And Jesus is himself the heart of the gospel. If you remove Jesus from gospel, it's not gospel. If you remove his birth from the gospel, it's not gospel. If you remove his crucifixion, it's not gospel. If you remove his resurrection, it's not gospel. That Jesus is and of himself the heart of the gospel. And it's why he says that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, and that no one, in all-encompassing word, that no one comes to the Father except by him. No other works, no other ways, no other gods, no other faiths. Jesus and Jesus alone. And so when we talk about eternity, when we think about heaven, when we think about the eternal kingdom of God, the entrance into that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So the gospel is how we enter, but then also is this, the gospel is how we live as a part of the kingdom. And that's the other thing that, that Paul's going to work through in this letter. That not only is what the gospel does is to bring you into the kingdom, into the future of the hope that we sing for, of what we raise our hands in proclamation of what the future holds for us in the coming of Christ, in the calling of the saints to him. But that also that the gospel is doing something here with us. That the gospel is actually working in us now and that we need the gospel here. That not through some morality, not that through some religious rules, not through some works, but that the gospel is how we live. It's why it's so important that for those of us as believers, that we think that the gospel is for non-believers. And so we proclaim and that we teach and that we explain the gospel to them in hopes that they might be saved. But then we fill up churches all over the world that says, well, the gospel is for them. Give me something for me. But it all rests in and roots in the gospel. That the gospel for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ is how we live as a part of the kingdom. So the gospel for me is just as important now, 19 years after I got saved, as it was in the moment when I got saved. That the gospel is how I live as a part of the kingdom. That for me in my life, the gospel sets the standard. For me in my life, that the gospel is at work in us now and that the gospel is what works through us. It is the power and it is the nature of the gospel. I heard a pastor say one time that as followers of Jesus Christ, 
that we should be so filled with the power of the Spirit and living in the gospel that when people see us, they see the gospel. That there's living evidence of the fruit within us. So yes, we look different. Yes, we do things different. Yes, we talk different. Yes, we treat each other different. Not because we're better, not because we've done anything, but because of the gospel. Because he's so much better. And so that's going to be the foundation of this. That's what Paul's trying to impress on the hearts of the Galatian people. And what Paul's impressing on the hearts of us today is that we enter into the kingdom through the gospel, but that we also live through the gospel. And so we'll start reading Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. But not, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so Paul begins, he opens it up, he addresses, he greets them, and then he gets to the heart of what is taking place. I want to say this, church, to all of us as individuals, to all of us who wrestle with our faith, to all of us who dive into scripture, for all of us who sit under teaching or wherever we are, what we have to understand, what Paul does is he addresses this to the church, but as the individuals within the church is this, what you believe matters. What we believe matters. When it comes to faith, can we say that it's not just enough to say, I believe in God? When we really get down to it, it's not just enough to say we believe in Jesus. Because it's in the details of who we believe him to be. It's in the details of what we trust him with our life. That when it gets down to understanding what the gospel is and what the gospel does, what Jesus we believe in matters. And so what you believe and what I believe matters. And Paul's passion in his heart for addressing this church is to make sure that there's this understanding that the Jesus they believe in, the Jesus they follow, the Jesus they trust is an authentic Jesus. It's an authentic gospel and that it's not counterfeit. And the problem is, is that there are those then and there are those today who are trying to sell a counterfeit Jesus. They're trying to sell a counterfeit gospel. 
And so Paul brings it back to the heart. He says, look, those are, there are those who will trouble you by distorting the gospel. Now, he doesn't say there are those who will trouble you by completely destroying it and throwing it to the side. He doesn't say there were those who will try to trouble you by trying to lead you to something completely different. See, there's something sneakier that is happening and taking place here. He says what they're doing is they're taking the gospel and they're just turning it. They're just modifying it. They're making it a little bit easier to hear. They're making it a little bit more simple. They're making it a little bit where it's not as harsh. They're making it a little bit where it doesn't call, where it doesn't talk about grace or the cross. He says they're distorting you. They're troubling you by distorting the gospel. In church, when the gospel is distorted, when the gospel is distorted, it's no longer the gospel. When the gospel is changed, when we take it and we make it ours, when we move it away from the gospel laid forth by God, in that moment it ceases to be the gospel. You see, here's the trick of Satan. Satan cannot change the narrative. Satan cannot change the story. Satan cannot change what has happened. But where Satan attacks is he attacks the narrative that's being told about the truth. And so he takes and he adapts to make it his. He sets it onto the minds of those who are evil for those who are corrupt and they modify it and they mold it to fit their agenda. And the false gospel doesn't save you. A distorted gospel doesn't save you. Instead, the harsh part, the reality that we're dealing with, if it doesn't save you, it condemns you. And it's why this is so important. And it's why we, it's what we understand. And it's why it's so valuable, kids, that you are in here today. And it's why it's so important that at every age, and every, every language, and every people, that we don't hear a gospel, but that we hear the gospel. And that we have the opportunity of salvation. Because the key is the true gospel. It saves us, and it transforms us. And Paul gives the severity of what he's talking about. He, he gives here twice the, what's called the threat of the accursed. That if anyone comes and tells you anything different than what's been preached, if anything different than what God has said to them, in that let them be accursed. And, and Paul says, look, 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 if it's any of them who do it, if it's, if it's any of us, he says we, Paul, and the leadership, if we do it, or in the level of severity, Paul says, if angels come to you and they share with you a distorted point of the gospel, a distorted narrative of the gospel, Paul says, if any of us, if anyone, no one rises above this, let them be accursed. It's interesting, this, this word accursed, it's not a word that we use very often. But the concept of what Paul's communicating with a curse is what you can read about, what you can find in Leviticus chapter 27. And it deals with the concept of removal of someone or excommunicating someone. So what Paul says to them is this, if there's any of us that try to bring this false gospel into you, then it's not just a warning, it's not just a hard conversation, lead them out, they are accursed. They are excommunicated. They are banished. 
and they are banned. An interesting part of this is in order to get the penalty of being accursed, what the person must have been doing must have been dealing, in, or I'm sorry, they must have been devoted to death. So what Paul says is this. If there's someone bringing a false gospel, if there's someone's bringing a false narrative, then what they are devoted to is death, not life, and remove them immediately. The seriousness of what's there, of what is ringing true. So what is the true gospel? What is this that I'm talking about? And we're going to understand it more over the coming weeks. But this morning, I want to give us a snapshot, a brief snapshot before we partake in the Lord's Supper of what is the true gospel. The first thing is this. The true gospel tells us who we are. The true gospel tells us who we are. Verse 4 says that Jesus came to deliver us. He came to deliver us. Literally breaking that word down means that he came to rescue us. How many of you in your life have ever needed to be rescued from something? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I remember one time I was in fifth grade, and me and some friends, we were, we were back in the woods, and we had uh, thousands of acres back behind our house, and we got lost, and we couldn't find our way out. And they had to send people to come and rescue us. Now, over time, eventually, could we have stumbled out? Probably, absolutely. But right, we're 10 years old, we're petrified, we're crying, and, and it's a great moment when your parents have to send law enforcement into the woods to come bring you out, right? It was long conversations that we had with my mom and dad. Hey, kids, don't do that. But y'all would just get on your phones and call your parents to come and get you, right? Drop a pin right where you're at. Come find me. Um, but they had to come rescue us. Here's the thing, if you need to be rescued, do you know what you can't do for yourself? You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. So what the Bible tells us in the heart of the gospel is that we needed to be rescued, which means this, that you and I, we couldn't save ourselves. That what God had to come and do for us was something that we were incapable of doing. We needed to be saved. The true gospel tells us who we are, but the true gospel also tells us what Jesus did. Paul says in verse four that Jesus gave himself for our sins. That Jesus gave himself for our behalf. Now, it's very important that we understand this, that oftentimes that we talk about, and I've said it a million times, that Jesus came as a sacrifice. And let me tell you this, in repentance mode, fully now, right before you, is that true? Yes, but there's more to it. There's a part that we're leaving out, that Jesus came to do more than just to be a sacrifice, that Jesus came to be a substitutionary sacrifice, that he didn't just come to do something, but he came to do something on our behalf which meant this, there was something that we needed to do, but we were incapable of doing it, so Jesus came and did it for us. And then that was the cross. And then that was the resurrection. And then that was the power. So you see what the gospel begins to do is the gospel addresses who we are, but the gospel also addresses what Jesus did. Also within here, the true gospel tells us what God did what God did. 
Think about this. Beauty of this truth. In the substitutionary sacrifice, God accepted it. God accepted it. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God. So now, as followers of Jesus Christ, now as those who needed to be rescued, now because Jesus came and did the rescuing, that we are no longer enemies because God accepted the work. And so now what should have come toward us was his anger and his wrath, but now what comes to us? The grace and peace from God. The true gospel tells what God did. God accepted it, but also the true gospel tells us why God did it. This is so important. I think this is the part of the gospel that we don't talk about enough. This is the part of the gospel that we don't think about enough. The true gospel tells us why God did it, that God willed it, that we didn't ask for it, that we didn't cause it, that we didn't plan it, and that we didn't deserve it. Jesus says as much. Jesus says, look, you don't take my life, I lay it down for the will of the Father. Reread verse four with me. Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, look at this, according to the will of God our Father. That God willed it that God set the plan in motion, that what broke the heart of God was purposed by God to redeem his people, that God willed it. The true gospel tells us why he did it, but it also tells us what he gets from it, what God gets from it. In verse five tells us, that God gets glory forever, forever. You see, the the heart of salvation, the focus of eternity is the praise and the glory of God. That what just happened here a moment ago, and I wanna tell you, getting all the feels this morning standing over here, when the band kind of backed off and I heard everybody singing And the hairs on the back of my neck started standing up. And for some reason, water kind of started filling my eyes up a little bit. Maybe I got some sawdust in there or something. I don't know, right? But in that brief moment, as the saints gave glory to God, and then it hit me of an eternity with that. An eternity of all devotion to him. The gospel the true gospel, that you and I, we need to be rescued. In just a moment, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together as a family. We're going to have the opportunity for you and I who are followers of Jesus to take a moment and pause in gratitude of what he's done and in a reflection in our response to it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the work of Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. God, of where we were. We were broken. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was nothing that we could do for ourselves. 
And so you sent your son. Lord, and we thank you. Father, we thank you that as you sent Christ, that he gave himself for our behalf. The sacrifice that we couldn't make, he substituted and became the sacrifice so that we find a life in him and him eternal. God, we thank you that you accepted it. And as a result, Lord, that you extend grace and peace from you to us. Lord, and it's the standing that we now have. Lord, we thank you that it was in your perfect plan, it was in your perfect time, and the evidence of the gospel is enough for us to trust you with all that we have and all that we are. So, Lord, may we live lives not just in eternity, but may we live here now for your kingdom and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the elements are being passed out this morning, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Have you been transformed by the gospel? Has it changed your today? Has it changed your tomorrow? Has it changed your there of what awaits you? And has it changed your here right now? Has the gospel fully transformed you? The reality is that God loves you and I too much to save us and then leave us right where we were. That God's been in this 19-year journey with me since the moment of my salvation to mold me and to change me and to shape me into more of a heart like his and like him. And so as the elements are passed out, let me ask you, what does that transformation look like? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.